Hi, and welcome to She Is Wise, a podcast dedicated to braver, bolder, bigger conversations for women who want to change the world. I'm Ellie Bell, an empowerment coach passionate about supporting women to show up in the world as their best version of themselves. I'm a former corporate executive with a background working in professional sport and a qualified life coach working with women for the past four years. I've got two gorgeous little girls, which are the reason I'm so determined to change the way women are in the world. I have an incredible husband who encourages, supports and shapes my work in ways that prove that men have to be part of the solution. And I'm Erin Hodson, a psychic medium and spiritual healer who believes that for the world to be a place I'm grateful and proud to leave for my two young sons, change is necessary and that change must be led by women. My work is deeply rooted in ancestors and understanding who we come from and who we can become. I love exploring the spirituality of who we are and the intersection of that with our human experiences. We're two women who grew up on opposite sides of the world, but when we met, instantly recognized each other as kindred spirits, ready to make meaningful change in ourselves, each other, and the world around us. Now is the time for women to be brave, vulnerable, and bold, to explore what is really true for us and how we can make meaningful change in the world. Join us as we dive passionately into conversation about things that really matter, share lighthearted banter with each other, and dare to challenge what we've been told we can do, have, and be as women. Hello, hello, and welcome back to She Is Wise. Um, Ellie and I are very, very excited today to uh, have a conversation with um, Shawnee Hull, who is um, just a phenomenon. Like the the brief chat that we've had with her already, we are so excited to dive in in greater depth today. So let her introduce herself and then we'll dive on in. Welcome, Shawnee. All right. Hey, everyone. My name is Shawnee Harley. And I have the most amazing job in the world because it's not a job for heaven's sakes. I get to help athletes and parents win from within. So they show up with courage and confidence on the biggest day, the biggest stage of their life. Bam. How awesome is that? That is pretty awesome. That is a, uh, yeah, and as someone who is a the wife of a former athlete, um, first of all, a massive thank you for all the work that you do. He was doing all of that stuff way before it became the norm, and he struggles even now with with a lot of that stuff. So a huge thank you for the work that you do because it is incredibly important and something that I'm very passionate about as well. So yes, and can't wait to hear more about what you actually do because it's um, I, yeah, I love I love the sort of work that you're doing. What's really cool about what I do is I, I really think more than ever before, there's a cry for help, you know, from amateur sport, professional sport, not just amateur, but we're starting to see a lot of cries for help. And I think it's about time. I mean, I look at Naomi Osaka, which she did, you know, for tennis. I look at Simone Biles, the biggest day, the biggest stage of her life. And she walked away, walked off the stage you know, we've, we have a lot of, a lot of struggles going on with people in general. And then what I do is I focus it in on athletes and their parents because they're all having the same struggles. And I think it's great and about time that we get to talk about them. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We were um, There's a young cricketer over in New Zealand who wrote a really incredible piece about the struggles she's had over the last sort of 18 months. Really, like it was... It was incredible to hear the openness that she shared. And she talked about how her sport was what kept her going, but it was everything else that she was struggling with. And it just, yeah, for me, it's they seem like a massively overlooked group of people because there's this, this sort of expectation that, well, they're playing sport for a living. You know, what have they got to complain about? And then actually when you understand the the stresses and the strains that, that that alone puts on their life, let alone the expectation and all of the other stuff, is just incredible. But the work that you do with the parents as well, um, that for me just kind of makes so much sense. So much sense. You know, I started not doing that. That That's how I began. And then I was like, wow, there's a missing piece here. Because when I worked with athletes without the parents, I was just like this, this person that jumped in, you know, once a week on a Zoom call. And then I'm like, well, what's happening the other six days of the week when I'm not there? And it struck me very early on that the model that I was using was not doing enough. And as soon as I started bringing parents into the model, it changed everything because it takes a village. And these parents are like, I know I'm not doing this the way that I want to, but I don't know how else to do it. They don't. And I'm like, okay, this is great. I can help you with that. I'm going to get to coach you and your athlete. That has changed everything. And the results are, are just far better when I have the parent right there involved in the village. I love that so much. Um, For me, like generational stuff is what we are currently trying to rectify and, and resolve and heal and all of that stuff. And I think what you're talking about is speaks to that. It speaks to that need to re relearn for the, the adults in the, in the situation, what realistic expectations we should hold of ourselves um, because they inherited quite unrealistic expectations in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, and it would be easy just to pass that on. Um, so the fact that you're doing that, that unlearning and that reconstruction that needs to happen really, I think, speaks very strongly to the type of work that I enjoy doing as well. But I, I wondered, Shawnee, if you could explain for the listeners a little bit about um, how you, like, why you're uniquely qualified to, to work in that space. Like, what was your journey like? Because you obviously, you know, elite athlete in your own right. What was your own journey like? as an athlete being on that side that has allowed you or encouraged you or motivated you or whatever you want to say to then step into the space you're working in now? Well, when I was an athlete, I, when I look back when I was an athlete, I don't think I ever reached my potential. And when I, and I say, well, why was that? And my honest answer is because I was living in fear most of the time. But, but I didn't know it, right? I mean, you're you're young. You're not you're not thinking about all these deep things. You're just trying to play your sport. But now looking back, I know that I was always in fear. And it was trying to always gain approval. So when I was younger, right, you gain you want approval from your parents. Then I started getting, and then I wanted approval from my coaches. And then I wanted approval from anybody that was watching. So, you know, I was always feeling like, am I good enough? 
can you, you know, always looking for somebody, throw me a bone, throw me a crumb. I didn't know how to do that for myself. Right. So I was young. Then I became a career coach. So I was a university coach for 20 years. And when I look back at that, I was like, wow, I brought my athlete fears into my coaching career. What was I afraid of the most time? I I was fearful almost all the time as a coach. But again, I did not have the words for it because coach sports says, especially if you're a coach, don't ever be afraid of anything. So I didn't even realize what was going on. But my coaching, when I look back on it, was fear-based because it was all about winning or losing. You're striving to win. You're trying hard not to lose. And it's always about what will people think, right? If they win, if you win, they love you. You don't win, they don't love you. And then that carried forward to uh, coaching at the Olympics, with I was an assistant coach at the Olympics, two Olympics, the most recently in Rio in 2016. And I my same behaviors showed up again, right? They always do until we figure out what's going on. And the bottom line for Rio, the biggest day, the biggest stage of my life, I choked. We choked. And I have to take responsibility for that for my part of that, because I was on the staff. And when I look back on it, there's the F word again, fear. This fear was there and I did not know what to do about it. We were favored to win this game. We ended up not winning. And you feel like you have the weight of a country on your shoulders. And then the storm comes. You're in the middle of the storm. You have all these feelings going on and you don't know what to do with them. So to go back to your question, that's how I got to where I am, because at the end of that storm, and trust me, the shit hit the fan in the storm. And I went to a very, very dark place for a long time. And when I emerged from the darkness, I just looked back on my coaching career, my career as an athlete, and I said, you know what? Choking doesn't have to happen. We can show up as our best self on the biggest day, the biggest stage of our life. We can show up with courage instead of fear. And I know that can be done. And so I vowed anybody that comes to work with me, I'm going to show them you don't. This is the antidote to choking. And sport doesn't, I don't think sport teaches us what to do with this when we choke. Because somebody's going to win, someone's going to lose every single time. So who's helping the losers? I have that in quotation marks. We're glorifying the winners. And then what are we doing with the, quote, losers? And so I'm like, okay, people, I'm going to help you. Because I had all of these instances where I did not know what to do with the fear the nerves, the anxiety, the stress, the self-doubt. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to help people fix that. Do you think by doing that work with them whilst they're in the sport, that can then help them 
outside of the sport because obviously the one thing about being a professional athlete or even an amp it takes up time when you're generally quite young but then there's this whole sort of other life that they have to create afterwards and you know does the work that they do within the sport it can have such a big impact on you know how things look moving forward do you do any focus around that or do you just believe that that what you're teaching them is just a universal skill set that is going to help them in whatever they do Well, I'm really clear that I use sport as a context for life. I mean, if we look at our behavior, so if I just look at, so we talked about fear and I said it showed up for me as, as, as an athlete, as a coach, and then at the Olympics, if I'm really honest with myself, I can find that same fear showing up all over the place in my life. And what I really teach is emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And I get to teach it to young athletes and using sport as the context, because if you ever want to have a feeling, play a sport. Oh my goodness. It brings up every feeling and eventually so does life. So I just feel like I have this wonderful opportunity in a context that has a lot of familiarity for young kids. They don't have to be a great athlete. You know, I have my youngest client is 10 years old. They're still playing for fun. But I'm like, yeah, we're going to work on emotional intelligence and self-awareness. I actually tell parents, when you when you sign up for my coaching, I'll tell you that your child is not going to have to have therapy when they're 40. We're going to do the therapy now. Because what's the most important relationship that we will ever have? It's the relationship with ourself. What if we learned to know and understand ourselves when we were 10 years old? And then we learned it in 11, like where we started to go inside, win from within, what's happening in my heart? What if we started that? Like everything that I'm teaching, like I just got off a call with a 16-year-old and I looked her right in the eyes in my camera. He said, if I knew one hundredth of what you know as a 16-year-old, said, you know more than most adults. So this is a life skill. That's what, oh man, I know I can go off on a tangent, but that's what (laughs) keeps me up at night because it's so freaking exciting when I can help people awaken to what's going on in their heart. What you said to that 16-year-old is so, is so true when I think back to you know being a teenager and all of those things like the emotional awareness that I think any of us had of our generation was probably about zero and possibly in the minuses you know hide any sort of emotion as much as you possibly can and certainly don't discuss it or let anyone see anything about you just you know and even now I find myself very easily switching into the no I'm absolutely fine (laughs) when I do that I'm like right we need to do a little bit of work come on let's let's go through this but I have a nearly five-year-old and a two and a half year old and we talk about feelings a lot because it's something that like you I'm very passionate about and I love it when my you know Emily my nearly five-year-old comes to me and says mommy when when I do this this is how I feel and the emotional language that she has just blows my mind I mean as a mother it is just like oh I'm so sorry that you felt like that but then at the same time the fact that she can verbalize it it's just 
like that is such a gift that we can give to the younger generations that they can actually learn to speak about their feelings and start to understand it and know that it's okay because you're right it is a life skill it is something that everybody needs to be able to do and we're all having to learn it at a much later stage where it's much harder to learn anything than it is you know when when your brain's all lovely and soft and malleable let's get them learning how to use all these skills at that stage so um yeah I, i'm pleased that that you see it very much as a life skill because certainly that is very in attune uh, in alignment with what we believe as well yeah i think um i think it's a cruel reality for a lot of young people in sport that um their emotional intelligence doesn't come until their physical capabilities um, are, are nearly done. Um, you see in a lot of sports, I think, and you see it like, and there are some sports where it shines through, like rowing perhaps is probably one, I would say, where you don't really hit your peak in terms of your ability to win until you're well into your 30s sometimes. Um, and it's And I think it's about that mental and emotional strength um, and the intelligence that comes with that around knowing yourself, knowing how to get the best from yourself and also knowing how to um, engage with that on a daily basis, whether you're training or competing or just out having fun. The work that you do at the moment, do you tend to work with the younger people as opposed to like, you know, if we're talking sort of 10 versus 25, you work with the 10-year-olds the and the younger younger athletes, is that right? Well, my youngest client is 10 and my oldest is a professional golfer who's 40. Right. So because, a wide spectrum. Well, but there's – so first of all, I think something – some things that you said are, are bang on. I, I, think, I think unlearning is harder than learning. So when I get these younger ones – it's like you said, they, they're still curious and they're not, they're not so scared of the world yet. The older ones, now there have, there's has to be some more unlearning. But the point is, I believe this whole thing that we're talking about, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, you know, I call it mental toughness training. It, I believe it's a skill. That means if it's a skill, I can get better at it. If I practice it, I can get better at it. It doesn't matter if I'm 40 or 10 or 60 or 18. I can get better at it. That's why I end up with a wide variety because it's like this is, we all need this. And I'll tell you something else that is so clear to me. I, I also know why I'm doing this. You heard the phrase, physician heal thyself. I'm so clear that when I'm coaching these people, guess who else I'm coaching? Me. This is the work that I've needed to do. This is some of the unlearning that I've needed to do for myself. And that, again, I said, I, it keeps me up at night when I think about these things because I know that we can all we can all show up as the best version of ourselves. We just need a toolkit to help us. Yeah, and having that 
person to hold your hand whilst you're learning how the different tools work for me has certainly been the the game changer. Like we can do this work on our own. It takes a lot longer and it's a lot harder. But when you have somebody who is certainly as passionate as as you are, then to have that person supporting you and knowing that you've got, you've got, you know, that person to pick you up when you're really finding it hard is, is so important. One thing I just wanted to touch on, because I know it's a key part of what you do is the excellence versus perfection. And I know that a lot of people listening to this will be very much in the uh, perfectionism camp because as women, I feel it's something that we've been taught we ought to be at all times. And for me, certainly perfectionism brings up all sorts of different emotions. There's a whole part of me that's like, screw that, I'm not even going to try to, well, I'm never going to get there or I've got there and it wasn't what I thought. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about you know, actually how perfectionism really isn't what we should be striving for at all uh, and what we should be looking for instead. And I love that question. I I really have to credit Brene Brown for changing my thinking on this. Sport teaches us only about perfection, right? It's, and what I learned, you know, when I, when I first read this from Brene Brown, I was like, whoa. So this is, this is the gist that perfection is a, actually a fear-based behavior because it is, it is externally focused. What will they think? Please prove, perform, be perfect. So there's an external motivation to seek, gain approval. And so then the fear comes, what if I don't get it? What if I don't get the approval? And so we get on the hamster wheel. Perfection's not attainable. And fear gets deeper and bigger and wider and scarier. So then what about excellence? The way that I think of excellence is it is internal. This is for me. This is not for your approval. This is for me. This is for me to discover my best self. And some days my best self isn't actually that great, but it was the best I had on that day. So I'm just trying to go for excellence. What does my best self look like? How does my best self show up? What would my best self say or do in this situation? That is far different than perfection. The other thing about perfection, we have a very small rope for ourselves. Very, very small rope. And negative self-talk and beating ourselves up is so prevalent in perfectionists. Excellence says it comes from more of a mind of curiosity. What did I learn today? What did I see? What did that show me about myself? Oh, that's good to know. You can hear there's a different tone when we pursue excellence rather than perfection. I love I love that. You're so that that negative self-talk is crippling for so many people and certainly with clients that that we work with and that I've worked with over the years being able to find ways to manage that self-talk to to be able to like slow that you know that whirring that goes on when you're in that state of trying to please others trying to get everything perfect and the you know that 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 those words that go round and round is such a challenge and I think two of the things that I think you've said really 
resonate with that practice, like that we have to practice. It is a skill to learn to manage your self-talk as much as it is to for your emotional resilience, your m- mental toughness, all of those things. It's a skill. And I think people kind of think that it's not. It's just something you should be able to do. And once you decide that you can do it, then it should be easy. And, I, and that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges as a coach is actually getting people to understand this is hard work. Like you are having to completely relearn the way you think about things and the way you allow yourself to sort of talk to yourself. And that involves having awareness. Then once you've got the awareness, actually being willing to do the work to stop it. What are some of the techniques or the the tools that you share with your clients about getting through that? Because it is really challenging, Um, but I'd love to hear what how you help them. The first thing is awareness. Now, in my in the tutorials that these athletes take that I don't use that word per se, but I give them an image of a fork in the road. And awareness means you understand and you recognize you are standing at a fork in the road. You're either going to go left or you're going to go right. If you don't have awareness, you don't know you're at the fork. You don't even know what a fork is. You don't even know you're you're asleep. When you're awake, you're standing at the fork. And then all that I teach is now that you know that we're there, let's just notice. And so I say, if you go left is away, you go right, is toward. And we're trying to go toward our best self, not away from our best self. And the thing that has really helped clients shift is I say this, there are there's a cost for an away choice and there's a reward when you go toward. Until you get clarity on the cost of away, it's really hard to change your behaviors. And so I help increase the awareness of, you have a choice, like decisions decide destiny. You can choose to go away, but be aware that you're free to choose, but you are not free from the consequences of your choice. There will be a cost, right? When we hide, there's a cost. When we fake, there's a cost. When we stay safe, there's a cost. When we don't take risks, so I keep thinking about sport, there's all of these costs. So that's what I do. I teach, remember I said, I teach emotional intelligence and self-awareness. Recognize you're standing at the fork in the road. Pay attention to whether you're going to go toward or away, and then stay attuned to the cost and the reward. Love that. What are your thoughts, Erin? I know that <laughs> it's just I'm just I'm just soaking it all in at this point. I mean, I've got um I've got two boys who um, you know, boys aren't taught a lot of emotional stuff um in the big wide world. Um, but it is something we talk about a lot. Um and I'm I wanna say blessed, I'm not sure I mean it, um, to have a Scorpio boy. <laughs> so he's very emotional and very like his emotions are three feet from his body at all times and um you know lots of big emotions and what's interesting for me is I can see that my older son who is not the Scorpio is is slowly starting to shut down some of the emotional talk and um and starting to play it safe a little bit in the world like I think he's becoming aware you know I mean he's 10 so he's at that age where he's starting to notice 
what others around him are doing a little bit more. He's starting to notice a little bit more what the language is around the world and and that sort of stuff. And, you know, being able to say to him, actually, for every time that you don't do something that you really want to do, you need to focus on whether or not you're prepared to, to take the cost of that. Like that, I mean, that is in itself, like he he's not, a, like he likes playing sport, but he's not a sportsman. He's just a, you know, he likes to get out there and have fun with his friends. Um, and at 10, that's actively encouraged. But I, I think the, um, yeah, that, that life skill of being able to just have awareness around the fact that every choice we make, even when we don't make one, is making a decision where there is a cost and there is a benefit. And and you always want to go towards the the benefit if that is for your your highest good, your best self, your whatever it is that you're you're aiming for. Um, and I just love that the way that you frame things. Um, like I could see how easily that would land for someone who is in that really young, really openly curious you know, prepared to soak it all in stage of life. And if there are more people out there doing what you do, our future generations are going to be phenomenal in the world. That that like, it's such necessary work. And we're, we're seeing the impact now of people starting to do that unlearning and starting to, you know, really think about um, building those, that skill set in their thirties and forties and fifties and, for us to have spent all of that time in our lives going through that process of um, not having that skill set and having to navigate things, like I would have done things very differently in my life had I known um, that actually, you know, I didn't have to play small and I didn't have to stay safe. And sometimes it's perfectly okay to go out there and lose because that's not a failure if you've done your best. Like that mindset changes things um and certainly would have changed how I played the game so I'm grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing I genuinely hope that not just the um children that you work with but that that their parents are able to then navigate parenting with the skill set that you're providing them um that they navigate their own lives in a different way and that they share that um you know like if, if you can light that candle for those people and they can then go out into their world and you know a 10 year old who's been through your program going out and playing you know sport with when he's 13 with a whole pile of other 13 year olds who haven't been through that program he will be the light he will be the reason that they make the change and that's such powerful work so I yeah I just applaud it and I'm grateful for it and I'm going to talk to my children later about it (laughs) If I can build on one thing you said that might help your son and my any anyone else that's listening, you said, you know, he's 10 and he's starting to be aware of the noise. Now, you didn't say the noise, but that's my word. He's starting to be aware of the noise, other people, other thoughts, other opinions. One of the things that I notice when I'm coaching athletes is being aware of the noise is totally normal. But you know what they forgot? They forgot to ask themselves what they think. Like they just automatically listen to the noise and then they believe the noise to be true. And I'm like, you know what? How about like, let's take it. Let's have a debate here or let's have a jury. 
Like we need to have more than one opinion on the table. Did you forget that you actually have an opinion? You have a voice. It's your bus. You might be 10. You don't even have your driver's license yet. You can have a learner's license. But start driving your bus. They forget to say, what do I think? And the noise gives them the opinion instead of them saying, what do I think about that opinion? Do I agree with it? Do I disagree with it? Does that person know what they're talking about? What do I think? What what do I believe to be true? Again, we're talking about emotional intelligence and self-awareness again, aren't we? What's interesting for me, I think, is that I like I grew up in a small town. Um, and until I was 17 and left that town, all of the noise was that town. Right. And I mean, that we're talking about like the, you know, the late 90s, um, early 2000s. So it's not that long ago, but it's long enough ago that the world was a very different place. And so um, the noise back then was very much about I'm going to hold you in this little small space and I'm going to make you believe that that's all you can have. Now our children are presented with all access, right? It's like pay-per-view for like you can see anything that you want. You can experience anything that you want just by going on the internet. You know, there's all these shiny things out there that people deliberately put in front of our children to encourage them to make choices that don't serve our children. Um, And so being able to like live in a space where that stuff is happening and then pull them back to themselves and say, actually, all of that noise, which is amplified from what I had as a child and certainly from what you had and from what Ellie had as well, all of that amplification, like we need to work that much harder to go back to ourselves But that's why as parents and as loving, supporting aunties, sisters, cousins, whatever we are, when we stand up and say, hold on a minute, I'll hold space for you while you go through that, while you go back to yourself around that, and I'll stop the noise for a minute and I'll take that so that you can have that space to work through it. That, I think, is the key, certainly as a parent, that is the key for me in terms of being able to to support my son's success is to be able to say to him, you take a minute to go back to yourself. I'll stop all the noise. So when I take his iPad off him and he throws a tantrum about it, <laughs> that's what I'm really doing. I'm just recording that for later so that he can hear that. <laughs> I was going to say that there, there is that they forget that they can have a choice in what they believe. But I also think there's a little bit that they haven't learned that they can, because I think back to like the way that my parents were brought up and, you know, their parents and all of these things, there was always this kind of rule that the oldest person had the most power and had the, and had the, like they got given, you know, the, the position of power as they got older. So you kind of went through this phase of being a child where your voice didn't count for anything. And then you got a bit older and it might have had a little bit. And then by the time you got to an adult, you were actually allowed to, you know, have an opinion. But the problem was exactly as you said, you haven't learned your own opinion because you weren't encouraged to question it. But then we have this like weird sort of situation at the moment where we have sort of grandparents who kind of feel like they've got to the top of the the power pile they're like well now I get to be in charge and what I think goes and they find it really difficult when they're challenged by us and our children 
behaving in different ways that actually they don't just you know the, the kids don't just stay quiet and do as they're told and all of those things and and I think it's a really interesting time where you see the the differences between people sort of at the the older and the younger and how we all interact and I know myself I have to really check in when I'm talking to my girls or I'm wanting them to do something do I want them to do it because I actually want them to or it's because I think that's what they should be doing because that's the way that I was brought up and I think the work that you're doing with the parents is so important because we are so conditioned by the way that we were brought up by our parents and and everyone around us that we carry some of those things through without necessarily realizing we're even carrying them and until like you say you have that awareness and you can stand there and be like is this what I really think or am I doing it because that's what I was told a good child did I think it's just really interesting as we start to unpack all of those things so yeah that was all I wanted to add to the conversation (laughs) That is so emotionally intelligent <laughs> and self oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's so cool listening to you say that because when the parents start working with me, they kind of think they signed up for X <laughs> and then they get this thing. Cause I, how do you explain this? Like they had, I just asked them to come on this journey with me. And when they do, they end up saying very similar things to that that you just said. They start going, wow, I understand that I can see why my child is afraid. That was my fear that I placed on them by what I said, by what I did, with how I reacted. They start having this awakening of how their behavior, how their all their long held beliefs their stories, how they were raised, their own fears come into play with their, in my world, with their athletes. And when they start having what you just said, it is, like I tell people, when you sign up for this, it's going to change your life forever. Because think about what you just said. That changes your relationship with your daughter forever. It changes how she's going to go through the world forever. And when this awakening happens, it's like once you see the light, you can't unsee it. And it it's all of a sudden you, you're like, oh, my goodness, I've been fumbling around in the dark for all these years and I didn't know it. And now I have a flashlight and the darkness never looks the same again when you have a flashlight. Beautiful. We could probably have this conversation all day long because I think we're all equally passionate about it. But I am very aware of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think um, I think what you said was was bang on. Like the relationship that we can have with our children when we teach them these these skills at an early age is is very different. But I think more importantly, the relationship that we can have with ourselves when we embody these the skills when we take these skills and not just use them for our own benefit but share them with our children like that changes the way that we see ourselves and the way that we play the game for the rest of our lives and in a way that you can't estimate uh, you can't underestimate how much impact that will have and how much impact you can have as a result and um so I thank you very much for sharing um all of your wisdom with us today um is there anything last that you would like to share with 
with our listeners or anything that you think we haven't covered that is absolutely crucial for us to know? I just will finish with, I, I believe that emotional intelligence requires us to face our deepest fears. I think it requires us to face our deepest emotions, whatever words we would have for that. And that's what I help people do because it's not easy. I know from experience, but if we want to stand on the podium of our life, I believe we have to have gone in and done a deep dive into what's truly going on in our heart. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, we will share all of your um, details uh, for, for anyone who is interested in, in finding out more about what you do. Um, I actively encourage anyone who thinks that emotional intelligence um, and, you know, particularly in the framework of, of sporting um, sporting engagement, I guess, um, should get in touch and, and have a chat to you about what you do and, and how you share it in the world. And um, I, I really don't think you can underestimate how much of an impact what you do will have um, in sport in general, whether it's with the people that you're working with or the people that they then go and play with or coach or, or whatever. Um, so thank you for doing the work. I know it's important to, um, it's, it's particularly important to Ellie that that sort of work is being done. So um, we appreciate your time and um, yeah, thank you so much. I loved it. Thank you, girls. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Shares Wise with Ellie Bell and Aaron Hodson. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please remember to subscribe so you can join us next time. And if you haven't already, please consider leaving us a review or sharing this podcast with your friends. Thanks so much for joining us and we will catch you on the next episode.